up until a few decades ago, researchers thought that basically, you know, your brain changed through adolescence as you developed, but then once you were an adult, you kind of just had the brain that was formed. And, you know, as you aged or drank heavily or did drugs, that brain cells just kind of started dying off, which is true. But we also know that new brain cells are able to form and the electrical activity is able to be altered. And, and this is able to occur throughout an entire person's lifespan. Welcome back to the Mindset Mastery podcast. Today, we are going to explore the brain. I have neurophysiology researcher and founder of Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro, Toby Passman on the show to talk about neuromodulation, brain mapping, transcranial stimulation, and what all of those terms mean for peak performance of the brain. In 2019, Toby started the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro podcast to broaden his knowledge of psychology, neuroscience, neurophysiology, and optimal brain performance by interviewing experts from universities, research labs, and clinics all over the world. In 2021, Toby founded Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro to offer neurocoaching, brain mapping, and neuromodulation to people interested in peak performance and hacking their brains. And to explain what all those things are, I have Toby with me on the show. How are you? I'm good, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited to dive more deeply into the brain. And I suppose the first question I have is actually, what is the meaning behind your podcast and the name of your business? Sure. Yeah. Roscoe's wetsuit actually has nothing to do with the brain, nor does it have to do anything with surfing, contrary to <laughs> what a lot of people think. It's it's actually just kind of an inside reference to a screenplay done by the rapper and actor Donald Glover, uh, who also goes by the stage name of Childish Gambino. He had the words Roscoe's wetsuit uh, kind of, they were kind of littered throughout this screenplay that he, where he just the main character kind of came across the words Roscoe's wetsuit in different areas, like spray paint, spray painted under a bridge, or at the end, there was a kid that was like scribbling it on a napkin. And he confronts the kid and is like, you know, tell me like, what does this mean? What is Roscoe's wetsuit? And the kid just looks at him and replies, I don't know. I just saw it online. So <laughs> Roscoe's wetsuit means absolutely nothing, but it also means everything in the sense it's kind of a, a metaphor. You can take it for what you want, but the way I see it, it's kind of sort of making a mockery a bit of just the internet age and how a lot of things are just copied and just we kind of follow trends. So the title is a bit ironic, I guess, in that sense, where I hoped that my podcast would be sort of deviating from those kind of those norms, but I figured it would just be a good sort of base name for the rest of the businesses that I plan to do. So that's how I kind of tap tagged on the, the neuro and the neuro podcast. So that's awesome. I love it. So you started with the podcast. Was that kind of more of a personal project for you, like broadening your knowledge? I guess that's the same with me and my podcast. And how did that start? And where is that taking you now? Yeah, it, it absolutely just started from like a personal interest in, in talking to these people, uh, who I joke that I would otherwise have no business talking to. So, you know, I just being in, in neurophysiology research and, and neuroscience, I might read a cool paper from some researcher at Stanford. And if I wanted to learn more about that paper, I mean, I could try to 
call that person up and just say, Hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so I want to talk to you more about this paper. But I thought, you know, what a great way to, to sort of have it where it's a win-win for, for both people where it's, you know, I get to learn more and also have an audience learn more about whatever sort of subject it is, but also giving a lot of these people platforms to actually share their, their incredible research and otherwise who otherwise might not really get it out there. You know, some of these people are, more into, you know, kind of pop psychology or neuroscience and have written books or lectured, you know, for, for kind of a mainstream audience, but other people, other ones have, you know, written hundreds of research papers, you know, behind, you know, kind of a, a closed doors and, and haven't really gotten the exposure that I think they, they really deserve. So that was kind of the idea behind the podcast. It just sort of started, started doing it one day and, and just have kind of witnessed the evolution slowly but surely. But yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, that's fantastic. So can you break down for me in real basic terms, what is neuromodulation? Sure. So so neuro kind of referring to the brain and then modulation in terms of we have these electrical and chemical events that take place in the brain that, that are kind of what create our whole experience of reality, who we are, you know, our behavior, just everything about our world. And with certain neurotechnologies, we can actually influence the electrical and chemical activity. So, so the modulation refers to changing, either uh, altering, either kind of increasing or decreasing levels of the different neurotransmitters and neurochemicals, which influences a lot of different aspects of cognition. So what are some of these different chemical reactions that happen and how do we use all this knowledge to be able to enhance people's mood, mental health, peak performance? How's that all work? Great question. So I guess starting with the chemical side of things, that's probably a good place to start where people have probably heard more about the, the different neurochemicals, such as say dopamine or serotonin, uh, norepinephrine. These are ones that are, are really important for focus, mood, memory, motivation, and, and have been talked about kind of in the popular media. But what fails to get as much attention, but is equally, if not even more important than the, than the chemical events are the electrical events that are going on in the brain. So the brain kind of runs on these different frequencies, these, these brainwave frequencies, which we can measure through an electroencephalogram, which is also abbreviated as just an EEG. So if maybe you or, or some of your listeners have ever seen like a swim cap looking thing that, that goes on someone's head, has a bunch of different electrodes, and that basically is able to record these, these electrical brainwaves that are uh, occurring in someone's brain in real time. So there's several different brain waves, kind of starting from the slowest. We have delta, which is something that is uh, you're producing a lot of delta in deep restorative sleep, kind of when you're completely unconscious. Then a little bit faster is theta, which is sort of sort of some people describe it as the bridge between the conscious and and subconscious mind. It's kind of a dreamy sort of light sleep meditative state, sort of a trance-like state. And then alpha is sort of an idling rhythm of the brain, really important for relaxation. If you think about just maybe gazing out the window, you don't necessarily have anything specifically on your mind. You're just, you're just sort of relaxing. That's kind of a, an alpha state. 
And then we have beta, which is uh, where probably you and I, along with the listeners, are probably mostly producing beta waves right now. It's kind of our, our normal, just everyday waking alert kind of concentrated state. So those are uh, some of the really important brain waves and there's deficiencies or uh, excesses of these different brain waves that can make a huge impact on just the way our brains function. What kind of things impact these brain waves? Yeah, so that's a really good question. There's a variety of different things. I mean, we know we know drugs, whether that be you know a, a medication, pharmaceutical drugs, also just recreational drugs influence the electrical activity of the brain. Sleep influences, you know, uh, sleep disturbances, just going chronic long periods of sleep deprivation changes the electrical activity of the brain. Pretty much anything. I mean, head head injuries, concussions, that but there's one brainwave that I touched on, delta, where if we see a lot of what's called waking delta, so these very slow frequency delta waves that are occurring in a specific area of a person's brain while they're awake, that's a very good indicator of a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. So kind of based on what we're measuring and evaluating with these different brain waves, we can sort of get a gauge of you know, what might be each client or patient's issue and then work with them with different neuromodulation tools or just changing their, their nutrition and exercise and sleep, all the stuff that I get into with the neurohealth coaching that can really make a big difference, altering these different brain waves and in effect also really changing uh, various aspects of someone's cognition, changing kind of who they are and how they relate to others and experience the world. Yeah, awesome. So talk me through that process working with someone. You'd first do the as the initial scan of the brain and work out what's going on in there. And then what are the steps that you take with someone to achieve what they want to achieve? Yeah, so exactly that. So we start off with with doing an EEG measuring for first 10 minutes. We do eyes open where someone just kind of stares blankly um, into the distance and we record the electrical activity for 10 minutes with their eyes open. And then we do a 10 minute eyes closed recording. And that gives us enough data to then basically kind of do what's called artifacting, which is removing some of the non-brain activity, for instance, eye movements or muscle jerks can show up in the EEG. So that's kind of my job is basically going and artifacting the data, polishing it up, making sure that it's all real brain activity. And then based on utilizing a computerized sort of system that the raw data gets converted. So it starts off, you know, it's just these squiggly waveforms, but the computer then converts it into these kind of 2D images, which uh, are known as brain maps. So that's the, the Q in QEEG stands for quantified electroencephalography. So it's just a bit of a modification there, but that's really, really helpful in terms of helping both the, the practitioner in terms of me, along with the, the client or patient, be able to really see what's going on in their unique brain. So it, the QEEG basically allows us to see a variety of different things, but Specifically, we're able to see if someone's producing healthy amounts of each different brainwave, if they're overproducing a certain brainwave, or if they're underproducing a certain brainwave. And we can see at which areas of the brain that 
overproduction, underproduction, or healthy activity is occurring in. And we can also look at a bunch of other measures related to kind of the coherence, the communication between different brain regions, or the, the signaling time it takes for information to get from one part of the brain to another. There's a lot of really cool measures, but that's kind of the, the basic assessment that we do. And that kind of based on the results of that, I then go and tailor uh, a neuromodulation protocol. So it's, it's super important that we start with the brain map in order to get an idea of, okay, this person's brain is, is producing a lot of these slower frequencies and they're reporting difficulties with attention and focus, which are, that's oftentimes what people will report when they're overproducing the slower frequencies and maybe underproducing some of the faster ones. So then for a person like that, we could go and give them kind of a faster, say beta wave protocol, that's really going to help speed their brains up a bit and help them focus and concentrate, improve their moods. But for someone else, say a highly anxious individual, maybe with OCD or PTSD, oftentimes they already have plenty of beta brainwaves, oftentimes too much. So with that individual, we might take a completely different approach and actually stimulate some of the slower brainwaves to really help with relaxation uh, and sleep. So that's really, it's really a tailored approach based on each person's unique neurophysiology base, you know, so, so we're able to then first see on the brain map, what is actually going on in the brain and then what protocols someone might do well on based on that original information. That's awesome. What are some of the other things you can identify by looking at, at the brain? Like talked about OCD or anxiety or loss of concentration. Are there commonalities with having, you know, too many high frequencies, too many low. Talk me through some, some more of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the theta to beta ratio, which has been a marker that's been identified as, as something that's associated with ADHD. So this is measuring the amount of the theta brainwaves compared to beta brainwaves and, and then doing kind of a, a ratio on that. So they've found that people with a theta to beta ratio of greater than three to one, and then for instance, producing at least three times more theta waves than beta waves, particularly in the frontal regions of the brain is very highly uh, associated with ADHD symptoms. So that's, that's one example where it's just kind of being able to measure sort of this balance between the, the faster excitatory brain waves and the slower inhibitory brain waves, and then being able to then kind of hint at, at what's going on in the brain. Now, I think it's important to just say that that alone is not enough uh, to say, give a diagnosis. It's, it's really important that someone, the clinicians also just you know, taking a full scope of what is going on for the person and all the other kind of psychological tests that, that go into this. But it oftentimes we, we do see these, these patterns where you mentioned also like the referring to something I mentioned before, which was like, say OCD, which oftentimes shows up as too much beta activity, specifically down the midline of the brain in an area called the, the cingulate. And that is a pretty, pretty good marker for OCD or anxiety sort of behaviors where you kind of have this overexcitation of, of the brain. So those are a few examples, but 
there's lots of other ones where, where we can sort of view a brain map and, and say, okay, this, this person may have a predisposition or may be experiencing some of these different disorders or disruptions to their brain activity, but the, the data alone is not enough to be able to then say, you know, oh, I know, I know for a fact that you're uh, depressed or that you experience anxiety. Yeah, that's awesome. So once you have all this information, what can you do for people then with the different practices or modalities to boost or stimulate the different areas of the brain that are not in balance? Great question. And it, it boils down to something that researchers discovered, which is the concept of neuroplasticity, which is basically our brain's ability to, to change and rewire itself, both through new experiences along with different technologies. So this was a pretty new finding, like up until a few decades ago, researchers thought that basically, you know, your brain changed through adolescence as you developed, but then once you were an adult, you kind of just had the brain that, that, you know, was formed. And, you know, as you aged or drank heavily or did drugs, that brain cells just kind of started dying off, which is true. But we also know that new brain cells are able to form and new connections amongst those cells and the electrical activity is able to be altered. So, and, and this is able to occur throughout an, an entire adulthood uh, and throughout an entire person's lifespan. So, the specific technologies that, that I implement include like neurofeedback, neurostimulation, there's something called brain photobiomodulation, and then the last one is audio-visual entrainment. And all of these are basically different ways of altering the electrical and sometimes chemical activity of the brain, and it, it basically is helping to train the person to produce more or less of a specific brainwave at a specific region or regions of the brain. So to give it a kind of an example, neurofeedback is a technology where someone has that same EEG cap on that, that we use to collect that initial uh, QEEG assessment. But instead of just assessing what the brain is naturally doing, with neurofeedback, we're actually training the brain to produce more or less of a specific brainwave of a specific frequency. So for instance, oftentimes kids or adults with ADHD struggle to produce enough of those faster beta brainwaves, specifically in kind of the frontal or prefrontal regions of the brain. So a neurofeedback protocol for, for that person might look something like they're kind of playing uh, they're, they're sort of watching a video and as their brain produces more beta brain waves, the video might get larger. And then say the person gets a little bit drowsy, starts daydreaming, gazes off, then that's generally more linked to an inattentive sort of alpha or theta brainwave state. So they're not producing those beta brain waves, and then they'd see the, the video get smaller. So positive feedback, uh, the video getting bigger when the person's brain is doing what we're training it to do, in this instance, produce more of those beta brain waves. And then when the person's brain stops producing those beta waves, the, the feedback is taken away. So that's, that's just an example of how this technology can work. And it basically then 
trains a person's brain to uh, say, okay, I'm getting rewarded when I produce more of these specific brain waves. So it, it teaches the brain, okay, produce more of these, these brain waves and less of these ones that, that I'm not getting rewarded for. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And then how long does this process take? And then I guess once you've gotten there, you've trained the brain to produce this higher frequency of beta waves, for example, can you also decline from there if other habits in your life are are affecting that? That is a great question. And one that a lot of people in, in my field are definitely like working on looking at and addressing. And it's one that, you know, given the brain's neuroplasticity, it's possible for both positive along with negative changes to occur. So if someone, you know, does a handful of say neurofeedback sessions, and I guess to answer that, that part of the question, uh, a technology like neurofeedback might require a bit longer, some more sessions usually to have kind of long-term efficacy. A lot of practitioners recommend like 10 to 20 sessions at least, sometimes more 20 to 40 or even 60, depending on what is being treated. Whereas a technology like neurostimulation packs more of a punch uh, right away. It kind of uh, just uh, takes the brain right into those different brainwave states in more of a passive way. So the person's not really learning to produce those brainwaves. They're just being entrained into whatever brainwave pattern. So a technology like neurostimulation, you might only need say five to 10 sessions to see real long-term impacts. But then at the same time, if, if someone does 10 sessions of neurostimulation and we go over their brain map and it looks way better than when it did when we first came in, that doesn't mean if they were to then go home and you know get in, hit in the head uh, by a baseball flying at them, that's going to significantly alter their brain activity again. And that's, I think, something that's really important for people to just kind of uh, acknowledge and understand is that that everything you're doing is constantly affecting your brain activity, both the electrical and chemical events. So whether that be what you're eating, how much you're sleeping, even the thoughts uh, and beliefs that you're holding, stuff like that, just mindset plays a huge role in impacting what's actually occurring in the brain. So it's, it's hard to say that doing one of these different neuromodulation protocols is absolutely 100% going to result in super long-term positive changes. But I think given that uh, someone does, you know, a, a good amount of a different pro- of one of the protocols, along with following, you know, kind of a brain healthy lifestyle in which they're eating, eating good foods, trying to minimize sugar eating plenty of brain healthy fats and getting plenty of like vitamin D sunlight exposure. There, there's a lot of other things that, that also come into play, but you can definitely get really, really good, significant results. I think by combining some of these different technologies and approaches to brain health. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up as well as my next question was about the mindset and like the, the physical side of just living our lives. I suppose it's not enough just to, go and do one of these sessions and then that's it just continue with not exercising eating junk food you know all that stuff so what do you think is like the most important thing about 
our overall life and well-being that contributes to overall brain health? Is a, a very good question. And I mean, I might, I might say kind of sleep is, is one of the biggest things getting, getting deep restorative sleep is, is essential for the brain to uh, do a lot of the repair mechanisms that are kind of cleaning some of the, the brain cells that are basically able to do kind of self-repair, take care of all of the sort of biological waste products and debris that have accumulated throughout the day and kind of flush those out. The glymphatic system, which was a pretty recently discovered system, takes place in the brain in, in certain uh, certain brain cells that, that perform that function. So sleep is a hugely important process. I would also say, you know, nutrition, just there's been a lot of studies on, on sugar specifically being very detrimental to, I mean, pretty much every cell in the body, but specifically neurons do not do not like excessive amounts of sugar, especially over, you know, chronic periods of time. So much so that researchers, some Alzheimer's researchers are actually starting to call Alzheimer's type three diabetes there because they're finding such strong associations between these kind of chronically elevated levels of, of glucose of blood sugar and just the overall toxicity to neurons in the brain. So I'd say, you know, basics just like, you know, uh, sleep and and diet are, are some of the most impactful ways and inexpensive ways that that people can really improve and and alter their brain function. Mm. Yeah, that point about sugar relating to Alzheimer's that's that's a really fascinating thing. It's quite scary to think about, really. It is, yeah. It's it's something that sugar is is highly addictive to the brain and triggers the same kind of reward circuitry that addictive drugs such as cocaine or amphetamines also trigger. So that's, that's why we all love sugar, but our brains do not like sugar yeah. over, over long periods of time. It's, it's very detrimental to, to brain health. Yeah. Yeah. With all your research and podcast episodes, and I want to ask you, what do you think is the most interesting thing that you've learned about the brain? That's a great question. I would say there was a Belgian neurosurgeon who came on, Dr. Dirk de Ritter. He came on one of the earlier episodes. I want to say this was like episode like 15 to 20 or something. Some are very early in the beginning days of the podcast, but he talked a lot about kind of electrical implants uh, in the brain that he can put in along with different neurostimulation devices that could be kind of like almost creating these sort of like bionic brains in a sense to treat various like disorders such as epilepsy or yeah, epilepsy. And I think he was treating some forms of traumatic brain injuries too, but just doing really interesting, sometimes dangerous stuff that might not be recommended for, for the everyday person, but it's just really cool hearing from, from all of these different researchers who have different areas of expertise where they're all kind of approaching the, the same uh, question of how can we alter and improve brain activity, but through a variety of different means. So it's really cool, I think, hearing from some of the people on the fringes of this kind of neurohacking space and, and hearing about some, some crazy stuff that I had no clue even existed. Yeah, that is awesome. 
And so, yeah, what's next for you with your business, with your research and the podcast? So what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah. So with the business, I basically am going to be offering the both like the brain mapping along with targeted neuromodulation. So offering neurofeedback, neurosimulation, photobiomodulation, audiovisual entrainment, a couple of technologies we didn't have a chance to talk about, but basically offering those to people in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area who are interested in, in kind of achieving peak cognitive performance. So I've worked with these technologies in both a peak performance setting, along with kind of a clinical, more kind of mental health and, and substance abuse setting. And I kind of decided that I wanted to more pursue sort of the peak performance and wellness side of things, even though these technologies have a lot of uh, relevancy in, in both, both kind of treating specific disorders along with just for general cognitive wellness and, and peak performance. So I'll be offering these different services to people who, so kind of as, as a neuro trainer in the sense that someone, if they're really wanting to get the most out of their body, they might hire an athletic trainer who might set them up on a specific workout regimen and maybe put together a meal plan for them too, and, and really just dial in on, on their physical health. So that's kind of what I'll be doing for people's mental health. That's awesome. And if people want to find out more about you, where can they connect with you? Yeah. So I'd recommend people uh, check out Roscoe's wetsuit neuro.com. Also feel free to uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram at Roscoe's wetsuit neuro. You can also email us uh, Roscoe's wetsuit neuro at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from people, whatever kind of questions, comments you guys may have anything related to uh, what we've been talking about or brain hacking. I would, I would love to hear from people. That's excellent. We've covered so many different things in this episode. And my final question is from everything that we've talked about, what is the main takeaway you want someone listening to this episode to go home with? I would say understanding that kind of their current state, how, how they feel, how they're showing up in life. A lot of it kind of is, comes back to just how their brain is working on a biological level. So oftentimes people will sort of, you know, assume that, that certain things are, are kind of character flaws. If, if they're very anxious in certain situations, or if they, they can't concentrate and it's affecting their grades, they might sort of then blame themselves and just think, oh, I'm, you know, a bad person or not trying hard enough. Whereas really a lot of, a lot of the times it's, it's really an imbalance, whether it be in the chemicals or the electrical activity of the brain and the great news about that is that with all these different technologies we've been talking about, you can actually alter and hack the, the biological activity of your brain. And so no matter where you are at today, in terms of your brain function, there's always uh, somewhere you can go to, to improve it. So you're not stuck with the brain that you have. If, if you're not happy with the brain that you have, you can do a variety of things to improve it. I love that. That's an excellent answer. Toby, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great to talk with you. Likewise, Rachel, thank you so much for having me. If you're interested in learning how to optimize your brain health through nutrition, supplementation, sleep hygiene, and exercise, you can book a free 15-minute neuro health coaching consultation with Toby. 
And we have a special gift to say thanks for being a listener of the Mindset Mastery podcast. You can enter the coupon code MASTERY21 to get 15% off your first NeuroHealth coaching session. You can find all that information and the links of where to go in the show notes below. Thank you so much for being part of the Mindset Mastery community. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with one person who would also find value in what we talked about today. I can't wait to have your company again next week. And until then, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited to.